Well, welcome to you all. Uh, my name is Pastor Dave. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, thank you for tuning in to our online service. Now, we all make like a thousand tiny decisions every day, but most of these actually happen at the subconscious level. They're just simply things we do out of habit. But the moment that we're living in right now, I think it brings a lot of our decision-making to the foreground. Like, will I go shopping in that busy shop? Um, will I wear a face mask? What are we going to do about school this year? And like, what about our kids? Like, are they going to just play with everybody? What about this whole bubble thing? So the reality is that those kind of big questions that are pushed to the foreground, those are also pushed for the, to the foreground for us as a church too. The moment we are in right now, I think, is a defining moment for the Jesus-following community. Uh, a defining moment is, by definition, as Merriam-Webster says, a defining moment is that time that shows very clearly what something is really all about. A moment that shows clearly that is revealing what something's all about. You know, challenging situations in our lives personally, they often reveal what it is that we trust in, the things that we find our ultimate hope in, where our fears are located, what we are all about. And I would say the same is true in moments like this for communities what are we all about as Jesus followers? And this time is helping us to be very clear about it. Like, what will we do when life becomes more complicated, when things aren't simple? What does it mean for us as God's people to lean into being agents of hope in the midst of fear and even anger that seem to be rising to the surface all around us? So yeah, this is a defining moment for us as God's people. What are we really all about? And at these defining moments, the way that we respond to, like where our eyes go, where our hearts go, I believe needs to be raised again to look at what God has said about who we are. We're just jumping into a series uh, in the book of Acts. And interestingly, I was excited about preaching on the book of Acts at the end of last year in 2019. That seems like a whole world ago, a different place altogether. And yet I'm so glad that God had kind of put this in our foreground because I think it will help us in this defining moment to be very clear about who we are and what God is calling us to. So let's have our hearts wide open to all God wants for us throughout this series to ground us again in the unchanging hope of Jesus. Let's pray as we begin. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just anticipate that you have good things for us. Um, and we pray that wherever people are coming from today, they would encounter you. We ask this in, in your uh, holy and matchless name. Amen. So the book of Acts is, was written by a guy named Luke. It's the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. And it's actually intended to be a continuation of that story. Just listen to the very first, the very first uh, verse. It says this, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the guy he's writing to, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach. Notice that word began. What Jesus began in the gospel story in his earthly life, he is now continuing 
from the heavenly throne room. So the gospel of Luke and Acts are really part one and part two of the same story. Both are addressed to the same person, to Theophilus. Both focus on Jesus, what he started and now what he's continuing through the church in the power of the Spirit. Now, the name that's been traditionally given to the book is the book of the the Acts of the Apostles. You know, and in some ways, I actually think it's not quite accurate. Yes, the apostles, uh, they show up in just about every frame, every scene of the book. That's true. But the one unifying character through the whole thing, it's Jesus. I think it might be better titled, The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Uh, So who is Luke anyways? Well, he was a Gentile believer. He's actually the only non-Jewish biblical author. He was a doctor by profession and a capable historian. He was well-equipped to write and report accurately the Jesus story. He's also a coworker of Paul's, and we see him show up in the story because he's a companion and a traveling partner with Paul at points later in the book. See, there's a number of places where we see Luke uh, switching from using third-person plural uh, pronouns like they to first-person plural pronouns, we, because he was there personally present in this story. So now let's keep reading. This is chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are are you going to at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel? He said to them, "Uh, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now, the main themes and actually the structure of the book of Acts, they're all developed right here in this opening set of verses. I think Tim Mackey summarizes it really well. He says, this is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. Luke shows that the risen Jesus is now exalted 
as the rightful king over all the cosmos. In this sense, he's actually fulfilling what the prophet Daniel envisions. He talks about the son of man who shares the authority, the throne, and the glory with God the Father. Jesus is that king. And now Jesus, king over all, is continuing his mission through his people in the power of the Spirit. We see that in verse eight. The mission starts in Jerusalem and spreads to all of Judea and Samaria and actually is aimed toward the very ends of the earth. And we'll see that the book is structured around those geographical lines. Uh, Acts one through seven is about Jerusalem. Acts eight through 12 then is the Judea and Samaria part. And then 13 onwards is pushing out to the ends of the earth. And this is the first big point. In the last chapter, we'll see Paul, a character we meet partway through this book, a central figure in the Christian faith. And in Luke's telling, he's been arrested and he's now under house arrest, working from home and longing to see the gospel continue to spread to the ends of the earth. But listen to how Luke puts it. These are the last two two verses of the book. He says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Now, Paul's not in an ideal situation. Uh, He's confined to his home when he wants to be traveling. Doesn't sound completely dissimilar to some of what we've experienced with COVID restrictions. But then listen, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All boldness without hindrance. Paul's mission was clear. Whatever situation he was in, he pushed through the inconveniences and challenge. And there's an example for all of us in that. See that last word in the book of Acts, unhindered. This word grabs us and it asks us now to continue writing the next chapter of the story to add our part to the ongoing mission. It tells us that God's plans and purposes for the kingdom of God to keep spreading and spreading as more and more people say yes to the King Jesus and his reign in their life. It says that this kingdom will keep spreading and it won't be thwarted by anything or anyone unhindered. It's not thwarted by the persecution that Paul was facing and it's not by the pandemic that we are facing. There are church communities that are named Acts 29. We have one within our own kind of uh, denomination in BC. I love that. See, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And by taking on that name, uh, these churches are saying, we are writing the next chapter because we are. I love how William Larkins put it in his commentary. He says, in the very last word of Acts, that word unhindered, Luke converts the reader into an active participant. By the power of the Spirit, the reader must also add his or her own chapter of bold, unhindered witness to God's unstoppable mission. We are, as God's people, using this present moment with all of its challenges and inconveniences. My question now is, how will we use that moment to count for God's purposes? So maybe you need to ask yourself personally today, and we're gonna answer this for what we're doing as a community in a moment too, but ask yourself personally, um, 
am I going to use even the challenges, even the inconveniences of this moment with all boldness and without hindrance to be part of God's purposes right now, right in the midst of it all? Then we're going to switch gears for a few moments here because there's something else we need to see in the next chapter that we absolutely need. The birth of the church really begins as this small band of Jesus followers, 120 of them, they're gathered in this upper room. They're praying. They're waiting for the coming of the promised spirit. Look with me at Acts 2, 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this is key. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking, aren't they all Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. (laughs) That last line though, hey? Uh, I actually think that reminds us that then and now, we shouldn't be surprised if there are people who will make fun, uh, who won't take seriously the things of God and what God is doing. But Peter, he just responds with this really level-headed reply. He says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Well, that's classic, Peter. Thank you. Uh, No, no, he says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then, and then Peter goes on to narrate and, and, and confess kind of what Joel writes about there, how in the Old Testament tells us that in the last days, God's spirit will come on all his people. And so what's being pointed, what's happening right now, this is the fill, the filling full of God's promise. And the scriptures are being fulfilled in this bigger sense too. Uh, he's speaking to the crowd that's gathered and the scoffers within it. And he says this of Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. The Spirit's presence, Peter says, is evidence that God is accomplishing his big plan. And this is really something everyone needs to embrace. For Peter goes on to say, when he's asked, like, what should we do in response to this? He says, repent. And that's a word that means changing your mind and the direction of your life. It means changing your allegiance, no longer self at center, no longer a life dominated by sin, no, Jesus at the center. Repent, and then he says this, repent and be baptized. Baptism is a symbol of this change of allegiance. 
it's uh, signaling the entrance into life with God and God's people. He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the next big point. He says, every one of you. Notice, Peter stresses that no one can make this decision for you to trust and follow Jesus. No one can make that for you. Each of us either says yes to Jesus, forgiveness from God, new life, or not. And the promise is ours too, that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone receives the Spirit. If you've trusted Jesus, you have the presence of God living in you, empowering you for mission. So this is defining for all who trust Jesus. We are the people in whom God's Spirit dwells. Yes, that's true of every person personally who trusts in Jesus, but more, and we have to see this. On that day, when the wind filled the room, blowing into the house, and the fire that rests on the believers, like, what's going on here? In order to actually understand this, we really have to look back to hear the echoes from the Old Testament scriptures. First, the idea of temple is where God's space and human space overlap. In the beginning, the earth was God's temple, the space where God dwelt with humans. And in the final chapters of the Bible, we see the same idea presented. It says there is no temple. Why? No temple in the New Jerusalem? Because there's no need for a specific place for God's presence to dwell. It fills the entire earth. God is among his people. But after humans rebel, after we've rejected God as our loving leader, there's this break and this shift. And God's presence now needs to be mediated in a space that was set apart and holy. So God's people built a temple in Jerusalem, a space where God's presence would dwell among them, and it would be a symbol and a summons to the rest of the world to know God. And when Solomon finishes building the temple, he prays. Let me read to you from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed and burned the offering and sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Do you see the resonances there? The fire and the filling. These are images of God's powerful presence when he comes to rest in a temple. So what's happening in the book of Acts here? This moment of the Spirit coming on the gathered community, this is God rebuilding his temple. Really? Yes. The New Testament, uh, the new temple, pardon me, is the fullness, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets who said there would be a new temple built. And this temple is now God's people. The Spirit comes and inhabits his people and through his people, the knowledge of the glory of God is spreads to the ends of the earth. The new temple is Jesus' new covenant family. It's you and I together. And that's exactly what Paul will go on to write, how he puts it to the Corinthian church. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Yes, as we saw, each of us is personally filled with the Spirit when we trust in Jesus. But Paul is clear too. The place where God dwells by his Spirit, the new temple, is God's people. It's us, folks. 
And we need to remember that part, this is part two of the story, of the Jesus story. In part one, the gospel of Luke, we see that when Jesus t- dies, the, the veil that separates the holiest place from the rest of creation is torn from top to bottom. The sacrificial system and the physical temple as the locus of God's presence was now made obsolete. Jesus promised that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. So Jesus himself is the temple, the space where God's presence is most clearly seen. But then amazingly, by his presence in his people through the spirit, we are now identified as God's temple, which connects to another promise. God promised to reunite the Israelite people under the messianic reign, to bring them all back. And here Luke says that those nations are brought back from every nation under heaven. And what do we hear? That the multilinguistic, multi-tribe, scattered Israelites had come to worship Jesus in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And when they did, they got to see how God was gathering them back again to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that his reign is now present. What they'd been anticipating has now come to be. The temple is now here, right here in the spirit-filled people. Will they be a part of it? This sparks a great sense of joy and delight as God gathers his people around his son with the very presence of God indwelling them through the Holy Spirit. What the opening chapters of Acts then depict is that God's people are now God's temple. Until Jesus returns, he has given us this missional identity as his temple, the locus of his presence in the world, and this missional task to let this hope keep spreading and spreading and spreading. So my question now is this, what does this look like for us, for us here at Summit Drive in Kamloops in this defining moment. How do we be an Acts 29 people this year? I'm going to have some of our staff come and share what we really believe God calling us to in mission this year. But I'm going to start off by mentioning that we believe in connected worship. That as God's people, worship is key to our life together. Corporate worship, it nurtures our identity as God's missionary people. It reminds us of who we are. Uh, Or as Rodney Clapp puts it, worship, in worship, we are saying, welcome to the real world. Why? Because we really are. When we gather around the reality that we are loved all the way to the cross and back by Jesus, that he gives us new life, this is the real world and the one that will endure for all of eternity. So we're trying to provide opportunities uh, through our online services, through in-person gatherings uh, in our building, through our church at home groups. We want to worship as God's people together and to make that happen whenever and however we can. And so we're beginning our Sunday evening 6 p.m. services again at the first weekend of October. That's just to provide another opportunity to gather for worship. But we know we can't fit all of our community in this building each week. And so we still need to prioritize worshiping together in other ways. Now, we already have smaller groups of gatherings of families or people in homes. And we want to make that option available for you to join in with one of these as well. 
I know that some people are worried about um, gathering at all right now. We understand that. But many of you are already meeting with smaller groups of people. You've said they're going to be in your bubble. Maybe they're another family group from our church. We would encourage you to meet with those other people, uh, preferably sometime on Sunday or another day that works for you, and just participate by turning on our online worship services, standing up, weird as it might be, and singing together and listening to the scriptures together, and discussing it together, and praying together. We want you to lean into all that God has in these ways. Now, our life groups are another key way for us to grow together, and I'm going to invite Pastor Russ to come and share a little bit more about that now. Three quick ways I want to point out to you how our life groups function. Summit Life Groups are multiple diverse groups of people meeting all over our city at different times of the day on different days of the week with a common purpose to pursue Jesus passionately, to uh, have model everything in our lives around the character and the priorities of Christ. So that's the first thing. Secondly, if you're new to Summit and previously haven't really been engaged or haven't been engaged at all in life groups, so and now you're at the point, however, where you see, you know what? I think there's value in the idea of being part of a life group. Well, I want to help you in that area as well. You now say, hey, I want to pursue Jesus passionately, and I do want to model everything in my life around uh, the idea of pursuing him passionately and, and the priorities and the character of Christ are important to me at this stage of my life. Then I want to ask you and encourage you to uh, uh, contact Lori, and her email address will be here on the screen for you. And then she's my administrative assistant, and what she will do is she'll put you in contact with me, and then what I'll do is I'll find a way for you and get you uh, in contact with one of our life groups group leaders. And, uh, and then what we'll do is we'll get you connected with one of the life groups and then you can be, uh, uh, we'll find a way for you to line up and get connected with one of our life groups. So that's number two. Thirdly, um, and this is one of the things that I mentioned last Sunday, if you got to be part of our message or uh, heard the message, if you didn't, then I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to the message that I got to share last week for chair discipling. That was one of the messages, or it was the message that I shared last week was uh, talking about discipleship and discipling. Um, I want to offer an opportunity to uh, two or three young men who would like to uh, be discipled and uh, get into a, a new life group that I'll start is the opportunity to, uh, again, uh, just two or three maximum would be the group size that I would like to offer is that where we'll go through this book on four-chair discipling, and I, I, um, I just want to offer that to just a, a brand new thing that we haven't done here before, and you'd be interested, then contact Lori again and uh, let her know, and I'll be glad to start a brand new life group here for young men that I would lead for a season, and that uh, we'll again pursue Jesus passionately. Remember what I said was discipling is uh, we go on a journey where we're uh, where we are now, we want to move forward and then uh, help others to join us on that journey of pursuing Jesus passionately and ordering our life around the character and the priorities of Jesus Christ as the definition of what a disciple is all about. So those are the three points I want to make. And now I'm going to turn it over to Jill, who is our pastor of Children and Family Life Ministries. Good morning. Well, this unique COVID season has presented some challenges for children's ministry. It has also brought some unique opportunities for continuing to disciple our children. The children's ministry staff have been getting lots of opportunities to develop and practice new skills in relation to making and editing videos. 
We thank you for your patience with us as we continue to learn and improve our skills. We have a lot of fun making these videos, and we pray that they will be used to help you disciple your children at home, and maybe even to reach some kids who have not heard the gospel before. We are also looking forward to being able to slowly start some in-person programming for children this fall. Kids Church has started today for age 3 to grade 3. The in-person Kids Church will follow the video lessons we have been making and will con- and that we will continue to make. So whether your children attend in person or online, the lessons will be the same. We are also very excited to be able to continue to offer Awana this fall. Awana will be starting at the beginning of October on Thursday evenings. Awana is a disciple and outreach program for children that focuses on Bible memory work. So feel free to invite your friends and neighbors. We will be offering an in-person Awana program here at the church for Sparks and TNT. Sparks is for kindergarten to grade two and TNT is for grades three to six. We are unable to offer a grade four to six class on Sunday morning right now, but we will be teaching the lessons we would normally teach on Sunday morning during Awana for this age group. A favorite passage of mine from Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This is a command given not just to parents, but to all of Israel. Discipling our children is our responsibility, not just as parents, but as a a body of followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have a gift for working with children and feel the Spirit guiding you to help in this area, there are so many ways you can get involved in what God is doing in and through our children. You could help with Kids Church or Awana, If you have acting skills, you could be a featured guest one week on our Kids Church videos. We are also looking for junior helpers that would like to help with our puppets in Kids Church on Sunday mornings. Another very practical way you could help would be to help with cleaning the Kids Church rooms between services. These are just some of the opportunities that are available to disciple our children and to reach out to children in our community. If you'd like to be involved in building God's church through serving our children, you can send an email to our children's ministry team, which includes myself and Maddie and Sharon. So you can email us at kids at summitdrive.com. I'm going to pass things over to Pastor Colton now, who is our youth pastor. Thank you, Jill. Youth ministry starts this week, and we're doing a few new things. We're all meeting Wednesday, but we're going to have a staggered start and end time. So junior youth will meet from 6 to 8 p.m., and they'll come in the main doors to sign in, and then at the end of the night, they'll come out the door to the left, if you're looking at the church, of the lift. Senior youth will still be 7 to 9, and they'll come down through the youth room doors, sign in there, and then we'll come up and we'll exit out the main doors. On Tuesday nights, in the youth room, we'll have a youth worship team practice from 6 to 7, and then Ascend will go from 7 to 8.30 on Tuesdays. If you have any questions about that, please contact me. You know, one of the biggest prayers for our ministry this year is that the relationships that are made through our youth ministry 
that they really lead our youth to know and love Jesus more and more. You know, we're in a time where the pressures of social media are having a largely negative impact on our youth's mental health. And in an increasingly polarized society, we really want to be able to share the hope of the gospel, which gives an unshakable foundation and teaches us to love our enemies, find our worth in and hope in Christ, and encourages us to live for more than our selfish wants and desires. Youth ministry really provides an amazing context for mature Christians to pour into the lives of young people, uh, loving them and pointing them to Jesus, who is the only Savior and hope for the world. So if you're hearing uh, Dave's message and you're wondering, how can I, a person filled with the Holy Spirit, how can I be a temple of the Holy Spirit right now? How can I be involved? And you don't have a clear answer for that yet? I have an invitation for you. I don't care if you're 20 years old or 80 years old. If you are a growing Christian, there is a real need for maturing, passionate followers of Jesus Christ to reach out and care for the next generation, to pray for them, to encourage them, to teach them, to spend time with them, and to lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ and to God's word. In a time with so many competing voices around us, so many voices calling for young people's allegiances or vying for their hearts and attention, in a world where so many are searching for hope uh, that they can hang their hat on and coming up short, we really believe that God is calling those who are pursuing Christ and being shaped into his character and concerned with his priorities to come alongside our young people and point them to the only one who can satisfy. You know, it's quite possible that our in-person gatherings get shut down at some point this year again, um, but youth ministry won't be shut down because youth ministry happens when people filled with the Holy Spirit intentionally seek out and disciple the younger generation. And so if that's you, if you feel called and led by the Spirit to do that, please contact me. And now I'll pass things over to Harry, our pastor of Senior Ministries. Thank you, Colton. Pastor Dave talked about us being a church on mission. And one way we do mission is to seek to tell others about Christ through our Alpha program. And we're planning to do an Alpha program again this fall. And for some of you who don't know, Alpha is a course that over 32 million people have participated in worldwide. Our Alpha course is going to be running for 10 consecutive Tuesdays this fall on, uh, yes, Tuesday evening, 6 p.m., starting with dinner. And it'll be a great film and some discussion. And it'll be wrapped up at about 7.45. Alpha is really a program that's designed to help people answer a lot of really important questions like, is there more to life than this? Yes, a life without God. And also a great question is, who is Jesus? If you have a colleague, a friend, or a neighbor, we would so encourage you to invite them to attend this fall. Uh, Finally, if you are interested in helping with our Alpha or simply would like to attend, I just so encourage you to call me at 250-299-299. 2159, or just call the church office. And yes, the program will be limited this fall. We'll have to do that to 40 people. Hey, let me also say a few things about our 60-plus ministries, which is, yes, our seniors' ministry. Although many of our 60-plus segment of our church attend evening life groups, we have two long-standing life groups that take place here right at the church on Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m., This uh, fall, I'll be uh, leading a study uh, through Paul's letter to uh, Titus. 
And Shannon Ferguson will be leading a study to the lady with the ladies uh, through the book of Colossians. And yes, both of our Bible studies and our Alpha program will take place with your safety in mind. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing more about uh, some of our plans for our 60-plus ministry this fall. And until then, uh, I look forward to talking to any of you about what's happening in our seniors' world here. And I'm going to invite our lead pastor back now at this time. Well, thank you so much to our staff team, our pastoral team. There are These are just kind of a high-level picture. There's so much more going on here as well uh, that we'd love to fill you in on. I just want to mention just a few other quick things. Women's ministry, uh, that's beginning their book club ministry again. Here's what Leslie Shane, our deacon for that area, she wanted to pass on to you. She said it's starting soon and, and you can sign up now. Like last year, the vision for this club is outreach. It's inviting others to join who may not attend church, perhaps don't know anything about um, the Christian faith, but we want to extend this invitation to our neighbors or friends or extended family. Uh, your book club doesn't have to all be outreach, of course. If you want to keep it within your church friends, that's okay too. But our prayer is that the book club will be a time of fun, of connecting, of great discussion, and of an opportunity for our faith to interact with many of the current cultural worldviews uh, that our friends and neighbors share so that we know better how to love and care for and share news, the good news with them. This year will be unique in that we will not sign up at the church building, but through the church website. So if you'd like to be a group leader or sign up to join a club, please go to the website and click on the women's ministry link under the ministry tabs at the top of the page. Now we're keeping the fee to just $20 a year this year, she says, um, which will give you the opportunity to read three books and then keep two of the six that are being offered. And on Monday nights, we do our young adult ministry. It's at 6 o'clock to about 8.45. We enjoy a, a great, fresh, free meal right at 6. And then we have a time usually for, um, for worship and celebration through music and then discussion around our tables. But that meal, that gathering around the table, that's all about hospitality. It's about us opening up not just a space for eating, but for sharing our very lives. And that in itself is a picture of the kingdom, of being invited to a table. So if you're 18 to 35-ish and you're looking to connect with some other people to grow in your faith, or maybe you're just exploring Christianity right now, we would love for you to join us. In fact, we're starting the Alpha program as well this upcoming Monday. And so we'd love for you to invite and bring a friend or coworker or neighbor with you. Also, if you'd like to help out, you can just email info at Summit Drive and we would love to get you connected. And I wanna say thanks to all those who have served so faithfully over the years. Now, in closing, this really is a defining moment for God's people. It's a defining moment for us here at Summit Drive as well. This helps us to clarify what we are really all about. And as we've seen today, we really are God's temple, the place where God, through his Holy Spirit, has chosen to dwell, for his presence to rest in us, and from here that his glory would go out and spread and spread even to the ends of the earth. And that includes your neighborhood as well. We have an Acts 29 mindset here. Since the gospel is unhindered, we want to be a part of seeing it go forward. So may you know in this moment that you, we, us together, we are God's temple. 
So filled, and may we be so filled with his presence that we expand and fill the earth with that glorious presence until Jesus returns. May we be filled with his joy as well in this missional endeavor as we serve our king. Let me just pray for you as we end today. God, I wanna thank you for each person who's watching right now. You know them intimately and you love every single one. You gave your life so that we could have our lives back, freed from self-centeredness and sin and uh, an agenda that's been broken and brought into the glorious kingdom of your son, Jesus. I wanna ask now, Lord, that for those who know you, that they would know the power of your spirit, sending them on mission. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would sense you and your spirit working, that they would open up their lives to you. Maybe even today saying, yes, I wanna trust Jesus for forgiveness and new life. That they might pray something like this simply, Lord, would you please come and forgive me for my sin. I trust you as the one who died for me and rose again, that you are the king of all and would you be my king. Lord, we thank you that it is by your grace that we are made new simply by what you give us out of your kindness. And now, Lord, we want to respond to you with hearts full of gratitude, full of love, and about your business. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.